We've got a really big bag of elastic bands too, if that helps. So many solutions being offered up. Yeah, I don't right. think of any of this. <laughs> we should have come to you guys first. <laughs> I studied engineering. I'm full of uh, full of solutions. All right, let's uh, let's start this because I've hit record. Uh, we're sitting at place to start. The mm-hmm. new bone, Boneyard headquarters in North Melbourne. Dave, how's it going? Very well. You? I'm all right. And uh, we'll welcome got a couple guests. of guests. Yeah, uh, we've got Brendan from Boneyard and Chris from Boneyard. Welcome. How are you guys? Hi, Dave. Hi, everybody else. Um, yeah, Sounds it's pretty, pretty exciting to to join you guys in the, the new headquarters. How long have you been set up here for? And, and We moved in in end of Feb, was it? Yeah, it was just after we closed Josie Bones, so we, we moved everything into storage briefly while we found a site. Um, so it was probably March, I'd say. Something like that. Yeah, so a few Maybe months. Um, and yeah, it's a bit of a bomb site at the moment. Shit everywhere, but... Um, Good fun. We've got the barbecue set up. So that's mm. the most important thing about a brewery is to have the ability to roast whole animals. So we've got that sorted. So that's and whole vegetables. And yes, <laughs> vegetables. So that's going to be kind of the uh, the boneyard theme is the slow roasted meats to go along with the beer. Is that right? Well, it's that's something that's really important to us, um, the whole beer and food thing. You know, um, they complement each other so, so well. So all the beers we've done so far have got that that focus and we like to develop recipes that match them and you know there's nothing better than drinking a beer but it's nice to have the food that goes with it to complement it so it's important for us yeah. beer and food's really what brought us together that's what drew me to, to Josie Bones when I moved here from Perth um, I've been doing some not quite as, as intense but similar things in Perth um, have a real interest in, in promoting beer through restaurants and through food I think it's a really great way to introduce people that wouldn't otherwise drink beer to beer in a different light and in a relaxed setting where they think of it like a wine or like a food rather than like a fizzy pale yellow drink. So it's always been at the core of Boneyard to to celebrate beer, to have it with food and to, to treat it like a food. Um, yeah. It's amazing how many you get the comments people say, beer and food, that's revolutionary. <laughs> um, but a lot of people just don't see it that way. The beer is something that you go to the pub, you drink out of a pint glass, you don't really think about it and, and see you later. So blowing people's minds open to what the beer world's about is so much easier through food because mm. they get that. Um, so yeah, it's, and it's fun. It is, I mean, how could you not enjoy drinking a beer and eating some food? Like it's, yeah, it's, it's a like fun. a no-brainer, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Well, the Germans have been doing it for a million years yeah, and, yeah. you know, so we're just a little bit slow to, to catch up the, the Western world. Um, before we go further, I guess we should mention we are drinking a beer. Um, Brendan, you told us a bit about this off mic. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about it on mic? Yeah, it is a it's a Berliner Weiss, a sour, low alcohol German style beer. Um, I guess you could say Berliner Weiss is my signature style. It's what I've been brewing a lot at home uh, since about two thousand and eight. Um, I've won a lot of without without wanting to sound arrogant. Won won some awards for Berliner Weiss. Go on, sound arrogant. <laughs> I do ar- arrogant really well. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I love brewing it. This one was brewed uh, a few months ago for a competition, a homebrew competition for the Australian National Homebrewing Conference in October in Canberra. Um, it was a variation of Belina Weiss. The, the, the uh, brief was to brew a beer with a fifth ingredient um, that related to you as a person. Uh, so I decided that, that I was going to add phosphoric acid to a Belina Weiss because I love the, uh, the tang that you get in Coca-Cola but don't drink it anymore. Do you want to tell us what that acid is? Uh, phosphoric acid, it's a, a particular type of acid that has a, a unique uh, tang. I uh, I have to from? do some research. I don't know how they synthesize it. I don't think there's any real natural uh, sources. I'd love to have bacteria that produces phosphoric acid, so I could do it naturally. Um, but this is uh, food-grade phosphoric that's being produced 
in a lab somewhere. I wish I had more information. Didn't, didn't bring my notes. <laughs> but it's also brewed with peaches, uh, peach essence, and Shiraz oak. So it's low alcohol, quite sour. It's beautifully dry and refreshing. Yeah, it's really, really good. I remember a couple of years ago, you told me when we were in Grape and Grain that uh, you were brewing a lot of Berliner Weisses, and if only a brewery would let you do one on commercial scale, it'd be a wonderful thing. Are you going to be doing that once you uh, get We are here. here. I still haven't found a commercial brewery that will let me use their their facilities. Um, We've toyed with the idea with with a number of breweries, but it just has never happened. Um, So I'm really excited to get something set up here. In the in the next few weeks, if possible, so we can start aging, you know, aging old, aging dark beers, red beers, brown beers, putting them in barrels. So we got a, a stock of, of old beer. Um, the first thing I did when I moved to Melbourne, as I had to tip out a lot of my old stock in Perth, was to to start brewing sours. Um, so as soon as I had a house and my brewery set up, I started putting down beer, not because I knew what I was going to do with it, just because I, you know, I know that I needed a stock of of old beer, and that's what we're going to do here at Boneyard. As soon as we have a brewery. I'll start putting down some some stock to blend with a year, two years from now. That's fun. You talk about it that way because the same with food. The first thing you do when you set up a kitchen is make your stocks. That's the base for so much cooking. So it's there's so many parallels. That's interesting. The beauty of Berliner Weiss is that it's it's a relatively short turnaround. The way I brew it is with um, lactobacillus at the start of the process, which only takes a few days. So beyond that, depending on how you want to process it, you can really turn a beer around in a, in a few months as opposed to a few years. And that's that's really why I started brewing a lot of Berliner Weiss years ago was because I love Lambics and Flanders Reds and they were too painful, too slow. Uh, the feedback loop was just, just crushing when you've you've waited 18 months for your Lambic to mature and then you taste it and it's it's like rubber. Um, it's pretty sad. So Berliner Weiss for me was uh, much, more, much more exciting. You could turn it around, get the feedback, um, if it was good, it could be good in a few months. Um, most of my mine, I age nine to twelve months or longer, but you can get a very, very uh, reasonable product in a short period of time. So, hopefully, we can get some out. They're pretty got low alcohol, too, aren't they? Yeah, that's that's one of the other big draw cards. I think that that beer, low alcohol beer, doesn't need to be low in flavour. And uh, yeah, there, there's a huge appeal and a huge. Uh, marketability of, of Berliner Weiss in Australia because it suits uh, our hot climate. It's, it's super refreshing. Uh, you can drink a lot of it because it's, it's relatively low alcohol. I try and keep mine under 3%. Um, quite, quite contrary to the Americans that brew Berliner Weiss, they brew 6%, 7% versions. Which yeah, is fair enough. It's the American brew a low, low alcohol beer. <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to buy that. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it works really well for us. I yeah, think we do have, for our market, absolutely. Yeah, we, yeah. we saw a couple popping up last year i think um that was sort of you know spending the summertime on a tap list and it was it's great like you you hung over it's a sunny day yeah brendan's the, the fair watermelon warhead's fantastic yeah, yeah and um yeah i think brendan was was wasn't really a fan of Belinda Weiss until until i gave him some of mine and, and he kind of saw what it could be um because the the classic german examples now there's only a couple of them but they're not they're not that inspired they're they're not, yeah, they're not great examples of what Bellini Weiss could be done well. And the Americans, uh, I'm sure there are some some great examples, but they're not really classic Bellini Weiss either. Um, not to say that this peach <laughs> peach Bellini Weiss with peach essence and oak is is traditional, but it can it can have so much flavour for for such a light beer. Um, really food friendly too. Um, we had a, a beer and cheese pairing and, and did a surprise uh, bonus pairing of, of halloumi with Bellini Weiss. And it was uh, it was fantastic. Just that lemony character of Bellina Weiss just just paired so well with the fried cheese, 
And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it could work with a whole number of things, but that that particular pairing was was really special. Yeah, it's great. It's it's the end of June now, and this is tasting sensational. I want to drink it all day. So in summer, it must just go down a treat. You you just drink it all afternoon, yeah. and that's what I do like about the lower alcohol, um, because you can drink, have a long, long session yeah. on it, and not fall off your chair at the end, which is it's kind of nice. Mm. One of the one of the main reasons we brewed uh, a light beer, our our red ale. Um, was because I do believe that beer doesn't need to have a lot of alcohol to have flavour. Um, I mean, the first reason was so that Chris could drink it at work and uh, get through the night without without uh, without slurring and offending customers. <laughs> but um, largely, I think it's missing in our in our beer palate. Um, a lot of what I want to do with Boneyard is to expand the palate to to brew the styles that other people aren't brewing. You know, there's more than enough room and spectrum within beer to to brew things that are different, to brew things that are a bit out there. Um, yeah, and just just make more exciting things. So that that mid strength red or the light, it was light really, two two point nine percent. Yeah, I feel it had quite a bit of flavour. I think I'm I'm going to keep working on it, but uh, people were surprised at, at how low alcohol it was, given its bitterness and its its maltiness. And it's yeah, interesting. I think more people Some people didn't react well to it because it was low alcohol, but purely but just just for that reason. Yeah, only oh, for that reason. It doesn't like have the alcohol body or. Yeah, I'd like to try it stronger. Uh, it I'd like str- to see the six percent version. Yeah, that's not the point. You know, sit there, drink it for what it is. It doesn't have to be a high alcohol. It doesn't have to have a thousand hop varieties. It doesn't have to be crazy to be really enjoyable. Um, it's a funny thing about the craft beer world. There's this high alcohol obsession, um, and they're fun beers. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love a ten, twelve percent big imperial or something, but. As a, a drinking beer, something you're going to have sitting at your barbecue all day, mm-hmm. that's what I want. Yeah, this is right in my wheelhouse right now, yeah. You like the, the low ABV? Oh, that's what I want now, well, that, yeah. It's the kind of the beer lover's quandary as you look into your fridge on a Friday night and you go, shit, I've got four Imperial Stouts, two barley wines, what am I going to drink? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, life's tough, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <I know>. yeah. <laughs> first world problems, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm watching the football. It's the first quarter. I don't know if I'm ready for a 12% barley wine right now. Yeah. <laughs> but I think uh, with the slightly irritating trend currently of um, beers labelled as session beers, when they're sort of between 45 and 5.5%. One came out of the States the other day that was 5.8%. And, and they were labelled, labelled as a session beer. Anything yeah. 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 so. under six is a session in America, though. <laughs> yeah, what's your idea yeah. of a session beer? Um, my idea for session beer is lighter alcohol. That's why I love the red so much. That's why I love Brendan's Berliner Weiss, not just because it tastes so damn good, but that lower alcohol lets you drink all day. And I have this ridiculous habit of the minute I start cooking, no matter what time of the day, especially first thing in the morning, I need to crack a beer. Mm. It just goes hand in hand for me. So, um, yeah, yesterday, cooking a, a whole lamb on the spit, I was, you know, lighting the fire about 12 o'clock, I think, and... You know, that's the first beer, and by the six o'clock, by the time we were um, starting to eat, I was well into my over my dozen beers and drinking wine and all other kinds of crap. And if I was drinking something really tasty and low in alcohol, you know, you don't get too smashed. And when you're, you know, working with fires and mm. knives and stuff, low alcohol is probably a smarter thing to do. So, yeah, good advice, I think. But it's hard, like you say, um, to get a, a lower alcohol beer with. With, with decent flavour. I think it's an excuse to, to say, oh, yeah, it's got to be high alcohol to, to carry the flavour. It doesn't. It's proven. I really admire the uh, the drinking culture of Britain. Um, you know, it's not it's not, not perfect in, in every way. <laughs> yeah, I love Lagerlouts. I love having a vindaloo and then smashing some tiger. 
Hey, uh, just before that you do that, what beer did you just put in front of us? Uh, this is another Bellina Weiss, uh, brewed with a friend, uh, Quentin. Uh, it's a bit stronger than, than I would have hoped. You didn't dilute it. Yeah, this is brewed with strawberries. So it's uh, been aged in a 100-litre Shiraz barrel from South Australia. And then after eight months, transferred onto fresh strawberries, heaps of them, uh, and then re-fermented on the strawberries for about three months. So it's got the tannin, the, the I guess the red wine flavour, little bit of oak, um, yeah, and heaps of strawberry flavour, about 4%, 3.8, somewhere around there, so a little bit stronger. The back um, palate, though, is just fresh strawberries. It's beautiful. Mm, yeah. It is. It doesn't taste artificial, which is nice. Mm. And I like the dryness. Mm. Yeah. I think my favourite thing about Berliner Weiss styles is that dryness. Uh, I'm, I'm a little annoyed. Uh, we're meant to fill the barrel up with water um, to get it to the original Berliner Weiss strength, and my friend Quentin, he, uh, he filled the barrel when I wasn't there, and... Uh, didn't add the water. So it's, uh, it was meant to be under 3%, but he made the executive decision not to add the water. He wanted to taste not, better. I'm not, I'm, not bitter, I'm not bitter about it at all. <laughs> I, I think it's turned out pretty damn good. Um, Thanks. Yeah. I, it's kind of like a champagne with a strawberry in it that's actually good. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you qualified. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, talking about beer and food, uh, what food would you guys be putting with, with a beer like this? Well, obviously, desserts and things are quite well. Um, it's pretty obvious. I think mild cheeses like a, like a chev, goats, you know, soft goat's cheese uh, with herbs or something. Um, carrots, carrot cake, earth, earthy root vegetables. Um, cucumber would be awesome. I think venison would be quite awesome. Um, fruit and uh, game go incredibly well together. So I think you could do something there. That'd I can see nice. duck working really well too with yeah. that, that fruit character. Yeah, um, so long as it's creamy or um, yeah, heaps of options. And uh, for me, beer and food isn't about our opinions and what we like, but it's about the person. Um, something I learned at Josie Bones, we did a lot of a lot of dinners. Um, that was our thing. We'd, do, we'd organise dinners and we'd work really hard on them. We'd all get together, uh, Chris, Julia, I, the chef, the manager, um, and we'd, we'd devise recipes, we'd work on them, we'd refine them. We'd get to the point where we thought they were the best pairing we could we could come up with, and we loved it. And then we'd put it in front of people, and they go, "Yeah, that was all right." And uh, it made me realise that that their palates aren't our palates; that everyone's different, everyone tastes things differently. Um, so you've got to you've got to consider the triangulation of the beer, the food, and the person, um, and the environment, the the weather. Um, it's not about what what we love or what what we like as a pairing. It's about what that person is going to enjoy. So, yeah, while, while those would be our pairings and things that we'd like to experiment and try, some people might not, might not eat duck, they might not eat cheese. So, sure, there's, there's lots of options depending on, um, yeah, where you come from, what season it is, where you are in the world. It is difficult for people to switch off. Um, people are very opinionated when it comes to what they do and don't like with food. And if you put a dish down that they wouldn't normally eat and you're trying to say this is the best pairing for the beer, you're going to lose them straight up. So, yeah, it's an interesting pork process. Belly, pork belly would be great. Pork belly. Pork, that goes with beer. <laughs> IPA and curry, right? That's that's beer and food matching. A <laughs> beer dinner is three pork belly courses, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <can> I'm serious. <laughs> <laughs> you can almost pick beer dinners, though, on the, the pork belly um, presents, but pork belly is pretty damn good. So it is damn good, it, yeah. Thing. We should try it with oh, there's a strawberry a reason. Of ice. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's certainly a reason why it's always there. Yeah. It is a crowd favourite, so and you, you, the nice thing about pork, you can you know treat it so many different ways. You can turn it into something, you know, you know, really um, 
flavorful with with citrus and stuff like that so it'll feel a bit lighter and a bit more summery but you can braise it you can do all kinds of stuff so it's it's pretty adaptable it's it's pretty cool so you're talking about um beer and food and sort of learning that people have different ways of approaching it to, to what you might would that be the biggest thing you you i guess chris have learned in the last um few years at Josie Bones? Yeah, it is very interesting. People tend to be, they're challenged quite easily by different ingredients. Um, we were always champion, championed using the whole animal, never any prime cuts pretty much, and using cheeks and tongues, and that would freak some people mm. right out. So we, you know, that was a challenge for a start. And, you know, muscle is muscle, whether it's from the cheek or the, the arse, or, which people seem to be happy to eat. Um <laughs> Like rump, I, you know, I don't know. Um, so that is a bit of a challenge. So it's more about being a little safer, I suppose, so people are a bit more open to um, what the what the dish is so they don't have their blinkers up straight away. And, and like as Brendan said, every single person's got a different take on it and you'd the room would be divided. Some people would say, this is the best match I've ever had. I couldn't imagine beer working with this kind of food. And other people would say, I don't get it. You know, so it's it's been interesting, very, very interesting. And, and you have to keep a completely open mind because nobody's wrong. If they say they don't like it, they don't like it. They're not wrong. It's their, their taste buds. And you can't argue with that. You know, we can make all the suggestions in the world. We think we're right. But everybody else's opinion is valid. Um, that's why I hate people criticizing, um, you know, dishes or beers or, or anything. Saying, no, that shit. I don't like it. It's like, that's fine doesn't mean it's shit. It means you just don't like it. Uh, uh, look at the the positives of that. You know, there's lots of beers I, I don't particularly like, but they might be faultless, well-brewed. So you can't fault them for that. So that's just not to my palate. We can all get along. <laughs> Drink more beer, we'll all get along. <laughs> so what, what are you going to apply then to, to this new thing at Boneyard that you've learned? How are you going to sort of transfer those that into beer and food here? Well, I think we're going to uh, have a lot simpler approach to the food we're going to do everything's going to be cooked over fire pretty much make it a bit more primal get into the pickles a lot more and and get everybody really enjoying the beer and food but not make it too challenging you know people don't want to think about their meal and their beer all the time they might just want to come along and have some nice beers and a bit of food that's going to work with everything we can certainly talk about it and do some interesting stuff when we have events but i think basically it's going to be lots of fires Lots of meat cooking slowly over it. I haven't can convinced Chris that we should uh, bring the pig's head back yet. I'm the worst vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> we had a little tour of the um, proposed beer garden outside and saw a, little, a lot of fun-looking uh, smoking contraptions. What do you got out there? We have a wood-fired oven with a uh, rotisserie in it. That's what we put a whole lamb on last night, which is a bit of fun. Need to test that out. Um, we've got an offset smoker that we got from Silver Creek Smokers, which is a fabulous thing to do, the, the slow-smoked American-style briskets and stuff like that. Uh, we've got a few other different devices, which are basically steel pits that you light a fire in and grill stuff over the top. We've got a bullet water smoker, do things like beer can chicken and all that kind of stuff in it. We've got a little hibachi um, We've got a beer keg that's been turned into a smoker. Uh, we've got an Argentinian crucifix, which basically you skewer an animal to and lean it over a fire. It's so cool. Yeah, it's so cool. Here's um, the vegetarian again. We'll spatch cocks and make plants on there. Yeah, so it, it's about... I want to make more of a spectacle of the cooking too. There's something really nice about watching 
a whole beast spinning over a fire or, a, you know, leaning over a fire. It's something kind of, it's a bit primal, a bit of fun. People get into it. And it's amazing how many conversations start with that when everybody's standing around with a beer looking at the meat. They're salivating and then they start the conversation. So I think that's a really good way to start talking about beer and food is to have that conversation start. I don't think it's really such a different thing either. You know, you're outside of Australia and a lot of the Western world, fire is just how you cook. It's not it's not a special thing. It's not a, a barbecue. It's just cooking. It's, you know, they're cooking over coals, they're cooking over wood. That's how they've done it forever. It's how how we've, our, our civilization civilizations evolved. It's not it's something that's, that's that we all enjoy. It's inherent in our in our culture and in our our history and in our palates and our evolution. So it's yeah, it's just going back to what makes us human and what's what's uh, exciting as people. It's not all going to be meat, um, just so you know. Julie is going to be busy in the kitchen, uh, knocking up lots of salads and sides and uh, vegetable dishes and things based on the season. Um, just a few things. Uh, yeah, like Chris said, it's going to be a real simple pared back menu, but we want to celebrate uh, seasonality. Um, our garden, um, we're uh, working on a garden out the back in our beer garden, funnily enough. Um, so we'll have lots of fresh produce out there, lots of herbs and veggies and yeah, hopefully fruit and other things that we can work with um, to create just, yeah, different, unique, interesting dishes. Um, maybe we'll take a short break and uh, just reassess things and come back in a second. Sure. All right, welcome back. We were, wanted to talk to Brendan, I guess, a little bit about homebrewing. Uh, you're awesome. involved in homebrewing pretty a lot. Um, you homebrew still? Yeah, I do, yeah. Even All now you're a commercial brewer? You I'm, I'm addicted to brewing, really, in, in any way, shape, or form. Um, I used to work for a lager brewery, not just lager, but a, a large industrial brewer in... Yeah, somewhere else, and I was worried that I was going to it was going to snuff the flame of, of passion, as, as everyone had told me it would. Um, that working in the industry would would uh, kind of kill your passion, but I found out I was brewing even more at home. Um, I'd go home from a twelve-hour night shift and, and mash in when I got home. You know, it was more more exciting than sleeping, and then I'd go back to work again. And um, I just love it. I love I love experimenting and, and just the the culture of brewing. I love promoting home brewing. Um, I was fortunate to, to land a job as a teenager, as a, you know, or 20, not quite teenager, but as a 20-year-old uh, living in Melbourne briefly with our grain and grape, which taught me a lot about home brewing, kind of took my, my brewing to the next level. Um, and I really appreciated what they did for, for education and, and sharing knowledge and, and just supporting the community and supporting home brewers. Um, so I've kind of been involved with them ever since. Uh, I now do the, the demonstrations uh, once a month, teaching people how to brew all grain on a gravity system as well as demonstrating their their fancy German Braumeister and I get a lot of satisfaction out of it I really I want everyone to love beer as much as I do um, I want to help them learn I want to see them learn and grow and uh, yeah everyone I want everyone to be involved really I just want other geeks to to talk to about beer um, so yeah I still, I still brew a lot at home um, yeah I do a lot of home brewing at, at Grain and Grape what Brendan has uh, shown me 
because I always had this stigma about homebrewers, the guy that gets the Cooper's kit from the supermarket and does it because he can make three slabs for 20 bucks kind of thing um, and all be revolting and infected and, and vile. Do it's, a, it's a real artisan a, approach to brewing where these guys are brewing better beers than half the commercially available stuff and they're so passionate. They've all got their own, you know, little individual setups and the, just listening to them talk and going down to Grain and Grave, trying some of the home brews that they have on tap there. It's just, yeah, we were there this morning. We were there this morning, yeah. And, and some of the beers were just world class, yeah, absolutely fantastic. And it, it's blown my mind on, on – it's just – it's commercial brewing on a small scale at home and the quality and the attention to detail, everything is quite magnificent. It's it's a healthy, healthy scene. I'm really passionate about it if you haven't figured that out already. And it, really? It, it makes me <laughs> sad when people – Describe homebrew as being something something negative or something bad, and I can understand the culture of it. Um, I was at the the Perth Raw Beer Show um, and speaking to a friend, Jan, who's a, a brewer over there, and he said, "Oh, your beer's great, but it's not homebrew." I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Yeah, no, but it's it's just brew. It's it's craft beer. It's not homebrew. You're not a homebrewer." And I was really offended because it was homebrew. I made it at home. Why why isn't it homebrew? <laughs> yeah, but that's like, yeah, but it's good. The stigmas. Entrenched in a lot of people's minds that it's rubbish, and it was for a long time. And the general public still haven't been exposed to how good it is. But it doesn't need to have a negative connotation if, if everyone's just brewing better. And you know, there's, there's there's an old guard of home brewers that have you know been brewing for 30, 40 years before there was really many imports, and when ingredients were limited. And they've you know they they were the, the first generation of, of craft brewers who were brewing worldly style stuff they've tasted overseas really going to to, to massive lengths to, to find ingredients and to brew these extreme styles and these what, what, what was probably extreme at the time um, things other than lager and uh, yeah I mean they have they've always been ahead you know like uh, a local brewer championed the the Pride of Ringwood IPA um, you know first first Pride of Ringwood IPA in Australia but you know there's I know at least a handful of, of brewers that did it, you know, fifteen years ago, twenty years ago. Mm. So I think that the home brewers are always on the on the cusp and on the the bleeding edge of, of experimenting in beer and beer styles. Um, but I think they go hand in hand. It was it was drinking beer and craft beer and promoting beer that got me into home brewing. So yeah, I, I don't think they need to be separated or exclusive, but they do work. They do work well together. If somebody says want to try some of my homebrew, I'm probably more inclined to be excited about that than somebody saying, do you want to try this new craft beer? Because that term has become like the term gourmet. It means nothing anymore. I it's really like Luke Nicholas Nicholson. Nicholas? Nicholas. Yeah. Luke Nicholas's uh, blog recently about uh, naming industrial beer, categorising industrial beer. Don't don't try and put a tag on craft beer. Put a tag on industrial beer. Like it's, well, it's I don't see why there's got to be tags. Beer is beer. It, it, and it's just because it's craft doesn't mean it's good. Just because it's industrial doesn't mean it's bad. And that really shits me. And same with homebrew. There's a stigma. Oh, it's homebrew. It's going to be bad. It should just be beer. How we get it into that bottle is almost irrelevant on the size of the brewery. It's more about the attitude of of the person, you know, getting it to that point. And the transparency of it. Yeah, exactly. And also how it tastes more than anything. <laughs> That's um, what it comes down to. And you can, you know, you read a, an article about beer or craft beer, and if you removed... Every reference to the word craft would still be the same article. Mm. There's no, I don't think there's much to gain from from calling it one or the other. Just call it beer. It's a marketing label. It's mm. they've put this label on these things to suggest that it's better. 
And I tell you what, there's a lot of craft brew out there that is absolute shit. Mm. And I'd rather drink some of the <laughs> so-called industrial. <laughs> so, sorry. <laughs> you know, it's it's just it's a ridiculous thing. It should just just be beer. There is, yeah. There's 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 quality problems both in home brewing and in craft beer and, and industrial too. You know, mm. it's not. Just. I think they're much better at quality. It's just that the well, style are, doesn't yeah. appeal to us or to, to most most uh, beer enthusiasts. Um, well, but yeah, there's, there's always quality. I don't mind that that drop. Yeah. So they bridge the gap. <laughs> <laughs> we talked to um, Chris from uh, Deschutes who moved from uh, AB InBev after being there for 16 years and went to um, become the technical director at Tech Shoots. And he was saying that the lessons they learned from quality at AB InBev is just another world to what... A lot of home... Um, not a lot of craft brewers could do with it. Oh, Brandon, Ooh. fucking hell. Sorry, we've just opened a beer. Sorry, there's and, beer uh, everywhere. Quite an incident. Oh, no. We would also, just before we went live, we were talking about the possibility of setting up a video camera to capture <laughs> now, see, that, would have, that yeah. would have been a highlight, wouldn't it? Yeah. So, speaking of quality control. Uh, so, we've got an issue with quality control yeah, here, do we? Yeah. Look, it's travelled a long way to get to, uh, to us, I guess. It's travelled a long way from the table to the floor, too. Um, Look at it. That was exciting. Move your bag. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to clean that up. I'll be back. Chris, can you talk about homebrew? I'll talk about homebrew, <laughs> yeah. He qualified yeah. to speak on the subject. <laughs> Have you ever tried homebrewing, Chris? Look, a little bit. I must admit I've never done a full mash brew. I was trying to make myself a really tasty alcoholic ginger beer. So I was putting loads of fresh ginger and lemongrass and stuff, and I just wanted something refreshing but but really gingery because I thought that would work quite well. Um, but, you know, I... I've got too many other things going on. I'd rather be outside with a smoker or a barbecue or something doing that and have the expert sitting next to me or who's down on the floor cleaning up his <laughs> beer mess. Um, Wasn't my beer, by the way. Just for full clarity, none of my beers. Gosh. Um, yeah, and let, like, Brendan's so goddamn good at it, I wouldn't even want to try. Oh, I like the process. I like hanging out and watching, and but, you know, there's so many people that are so good at it. It's like baking. You know, it's just not my thing. I like meat over flame. That's that's my shtick. Um, but yeah, going back to your point about people learning things from the large brewers, um, as a home cook, I've got to say I learnt more from the chefs working in Josie Bones in those few years than I ever did at home because I'm suddenly watching the process. And these guys, they the way they clean, the way they prep, the way they cook. It's a completely different mindset. And, um, you know, obviously the craft brewers could do with a bit of that process education from the big guys because that's what they do so well. I really enjoyed working in uh, somewhat industrial brewery too because we had a fantastic lamp, a microscope, a mass spectrophotometer. Um, Did know, any, any of that beer make it into a glass? Because I'd love to have a <laughs> <see that. laughs> I can really smell yeah, it, which is a good thing. Yeah. Um, the dog's good. probably drunk by now. But there's, yeah, there's so many great things that you, know, that you can learn from big breweries. And, and I mean, American breweries are at the size now, given their, their capacity. And Chris, you can pull that. Uh, what go. is it? You want to get it out of your head. What is it that's all over the floor? <laughs> <laughs> so this is the Alvin Balthazar Oak Aged. Uh, came all the way from Belgium. It was a freebie uh, when I bought some well, beers. So we I didn't spend a lot of money. <laughs> we did spend a lot of money to, to get the freebie, I guess. It's come all the way from Belgium, so maybe it's just... 
just unhappy about the whole the travel situation. Maybe got shaken up in your bag. Let, I let, learned through working with commercial brewers, um, people like Hugh Dunn in Perth and a lot of Hugh's friends in, in Swan and Lion Nathan, is that we, we can get along. A lot of the brewers and a lot of the land people, they're, they're beer enthusiasts as well. You know, they, they love what they're doing. They love craft beer. They love coming down to even to homebrew comps and judging a homebrew comp because they don't, you know, they're, they're generally uh, analysing the same, same styles all the time. Uh, this morning, for instance, we had Tina from, from CEB, an amazing palate, um, one of the best uh, in Australia. She came down and judged this, uh, this chili beer competition with us. Mm. And uh, they, I don't think there should be a, a separation of, of people and, and big brewery, small brewery, people fighting against each other. The industry is big enough. We can all work together. I can see these kind of corporate conflicts. Yeah, and you always catch the craft the beer nerds sneakily having some mass-produced stuff regularly. So, you know. I have a VB now and then. I had a few VBs when I did a cooking job at the real good Greyhounds. I was uh, like, what else am I supposed to do? The new new old recipe is pretty good. The new old recipe. (laughs) (laughs) You know, CB use less additives than most craft breweries. To be honest, they use nothing anymore. They don't use I've got to say, I I felt like shit the next day, though. Um, That's, I don't know. Higher alcohols or? No, it's not that. It was, maybe it's just my perception. Maybe it's psychosomatic. Are we blowing minds here? Craft brewers using more chemicals and additives than CUB? Because it's true. Well, that's, um, that's an interesting thing. The term adjunct has become such a dirty word, you know, with uh, probably we should, more, more... We should American. release a beer called adjunct. What well, the, the whole, you know, adjunct lager. 100% adjunct. <laughs> <laughs> Don't they do that in Japan? Probably. Um, but, you know, a lot of craft beers are full of adjuncts. You need, you know, Imperial Stout or Forbury's are, you know, brewing adjunct in a way. Um, they are. It's yeah. time to reclaim that word, I guess. Yeah, anything other than malt, like, is an adjunct. Mm. You know, unmalted ingredients, flaked oats, um, you know, Belgian candy syrup. Uh, really, anything other than malt is considered an adjunct. So there's, so there's more adjuncts in craft beer than... Yeah, more adjuncts. I think more there's, more, there's probably more... I don't know, but there's probably more myths around industrial <laughs> brewing having lots of crap in them than there actually in reality is. So mm. it would be nice to actually get the facts rather than... I think we can all get along. I think that's the, the big point You've got I'm trying to get across. You're, you're, on, you're in a really lovey mood today. <laughs> <laughs> we can all get along. Drive Volkswagens and have... I'll have, yeah. a, I'll have a little bit of lamb, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's already dead. I'm wrong. Wow. <laughs> um, apparently, the CUB brewers and, and factory workers uh, pop into Moondog, the new bar, frequently now. So Yeah, yeah they, they share their lamb. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we should be saying that, but but you know, CB help Moondog out. They they're more than more than happy to share knowledge and give them advice and help them improve their beers. And yeah, they're not the um, enemy. Steal their ideas. <laughs> <laughs> That's their subversive mission. <laughs> no, just kidding. Well, yeah, the day that uh, CB come out with. I don't know, an imperial yeah chili series stout of barrel <laughs> imperial stouts. <laughs> I think fine. we <laughs> might win there. Yeah, I think so long as it's, you know, we're all working towards the same goal, which is to, to promote beer and to, to raise awareness of beer. So, yeah, there need, there need not be competitive attitudes mm. unless you're really competing for something, which, you know, is not out of the question. Well, you're not competing for market share because you, you're never going to get there, you know, unless you... The market's tiny. Why don't we just all work towards growing the market? There's so many people that would drink beer if we just changed their perception of beer or changed the branding of beer or... Our approach to selling beer or marketing beer or labelling beer or it is, presenting it. It is amazing how many people you, you hear that say, oh, I don't drink beer. Um, That's because their perception of beer is, is 
one of those couple of big brands that have been in this country for so long and they think that's what what beer is and especially with a lot of women that's something we noticed at Josie Bones is when you had a flavor conversation which they're happy to do way more readily than a guy will and you put it in a nice glass and it's in a bar restaurant situation suddenly the, the whole perception has changed because it's not in a pint class in a dirty pub mm. it's probably ox you know the lines aren't clean and it's crap but you give them a beautiful like Berliner Weiss and the, the sours women really gravitated to that were the wine drinkers yeah I want to have a lot of uh, middle-aged women with lambic I think <laughs> Sly Fox <laughs> <laughs> hey sweetie <laughs> Yeah, it was one of our personal missions at Josie Bounds. We had a tally on the wall for people that, that told oh, us. Oh, that's what that tally was. I yeah. don't like beer. Yeah. Uh, so if we heard that phrase, we would there would be a mission to to slowly break them down and, and figure out why they don't like beer, what they do like. Some, some people you can't, but nine times out of ten you'd find that they drink cider or they drink champagne or they drink red wine or, you know. And you don't want them to become a full-time beer drinker. You just mm. want them to stop saying, I don't like beer. Mm. And, you know, we achieved that so many times, and it's a nice thing. Do you remember the final tally? We ended up – we it got so big that we stopped doing it because it was almost – too, too easy. Almost a daily occurrence. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. Well, when you have – well, we had hundreds of amazing beers from all around the world, and um, especially when people were eating, you could say, how about I have a little sip of that, especially if we had it on tap. Mm. And they go, wow, that's cool. I'll have one of those. And suddenly it's like you've opened their mind. Beer is not – beer in a derogatory way beer is this amazing drink mm. i love that it was like a captive audience like, you know they were there for a couple of hours you like they could, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you can yeah you don't know what you're in for <laughs> you know you're in a bottle shop trying to sell someone beer they're like oh, i don't drink beer they'll walk off they'll walk out you lose them at a restaurant you've got them there in front of you for a couple of hours so you can get to know them you can figure out really why it is they don't like beer and um how about a beer with that dessert? It's like, what? That's crazy talk. Yeah, I think <laughs> you give them a sip of something and they go, wow, I didn't think you could have beer with dessert. There was a presentation at the Craft Brewers Conference and it was good. It was about marketing, but the, the, the topic was how to sell craft beer to the undecided. Uh, the guys the guys presenting, I won't name them, but they did a great job of, of talking about marketing and how they do it, but they didn't answer the question. Um, they didn't, you know, I've, I've spoken to, to at least one of them and they said, I don't know, you can't. I was like, really? No, you can. You can. There's such a big market. You only have to look at like Oregon and the States who have, I don't know what the numbers are. Do you know? It's 44 I think 50, 53 50, uh, majority. Yeah. yeah, it's huge. They've got so many people drinking craft beer there and it's, it's, that's the dream. That's, we, can, we, can, we can head in that direction. We can increase our market from a, a marginal like 3 or 4% to a double or triple. Or I think the, the best way <laughs> that I've found is just to be enthusiastic about it. and That goes a long way, doesn't um, it? And not condescending you know oh the beer you're drinking is shit um, i'm drinking something so much better that you're gonna win people by saying oh it tastes mine oh you don't yeah. like it that's fine and don't I'll introduce them to the so-called craft beers don't introduce them to these insane crazy batshit hoppy things say here's a beautifully brewed beautifully balanced beer have a little sip of that and we can take you on a great journey but don't start them with a you know Imperial Stout or something that's so goddamn hoppy that your face turns inside. I think it is a risk of the the most recent, I guess, wave of uh, craft beer enthusiasts and uh, advocates is that they. I, I was born from the school of Michael Jackson, who was very. He was the everyday man. He was very humble, down to earth, spoke in layman's terms. Beer was the it was a, it was a people's drink, so it was it was always simple but exciting. He told great stories. 
Um, he didn't use uh, verbose language like verbose. Um, there was no wine wank. There was no, yeah, there was no, there was no scaring people away. It was all very inclusive and welcoming and wanting to teach people and wanting to give them a story. And um, that's, I mean, that's that's how I've always seen beer and how why how I've always spoken about it and, and wanted everyone else to talk about it. But in recent times, I think it's 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 come become a bit hipster and a bit trendy and. It is is it's dangerous because you don't wanna you don't wanna scare people away. You know, if you if you're elitist about it and you you say to you you know you make a snide remark or you scoff at someone because they didn't don't know what an IPA is, it's it's showing your insecurities. You should help them. You should teach them about it. So yeah, I'm I'm worried. I'm I'm really worried about uh, beer becoming pretentious and 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 uh, wanky. I think it's probably too late uh, on a basis that, you know... And I'm, I'm definitely guilty of, of being that wanker or looking down upon someone in, in moments of weakness. Um, but, yeah, you, you catch more flies with honey, is the, the old saying. Unfortunately, it's just a reflection of people's insecurities and themselves, um, which is fine, nobody's perfect, but it's just a shame when you could just be friendly and you could teach someone, like, you don't know everything. Uh, it's a famous famous Edison quote that I can't remember that, that sums it up that, that there's always someone that knows more than you about something so there's no point putting them down or making them feel bad about it because they can teach you you can teach them um, yeah no one knows everything <laughs> I've got friends I've made through Josie Bones that, that really just they, they just drink sour beer you know they don't they didn't like beer they were wine drinkers or champagne and they're fine with that they don't they don't feel any obligation to, to explore the world of craft beer because they like lambics they like sours that's it um, we'll come back in a second. We're just going to have a quick break. All right, everyone, welcome back. We'll, we'll give you a quick summary of what we just talked about. Uh, Murray's Wild Thing, 2010... Sorry, we just recorded 10 minutes and I didn't hit record. It was 10, <laughs> 10 really, really good minutes. As Morris well. so Wilding's really good. Best 10 minutes ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, First Australian Imperial Stout, yep. to my knowledge, but probably not. But smells amazing. Smells amazing. Um, Tastes good. Still drinking well. Mm-hmm. Still How did you cellar it? Uh, I've just got like a really cold <laughs> middle room between bedrooms and uh, my living room. And I've got a big dark cupboard. And yep, cool. That's where I chuck it all in there. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then we mentioned uh, Stout and... Mushrooms being a, a great pairing. Also, Untapped loves Imperial Stout. Yep. yep. Well, oh, most beer nerds love big, ballsy beers, so that's bound to happen. Mm. Which is yeah, you might not enough. believe this, listeners, but that 30 second recount wasn't quite as interesting. Didn't capture the <laughs> essence <laughs> and the yeah. passion of yeah. that. It was it's still good, though. It was yeah. a real enthusiastic, it was yeah. soda, soda emotional soda. discussion. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, we, what we did want to talk about is, is the branding of Boneyard. Um, I was looking at the hop skull out the front there, um, and and Brenda, you mentioned the story of the hop skull, which was Shh, no one's meant to know. So <laughs> Chris, Chris developed the the, the logo um, before the beer brand, so we'd we'd been toying with the idea for a while, but the the logo kind of preceded the the brewing company. Yeah, we had the brand, and then we invented the beer. <laughs> <laughs> We're just marketers, really. That's right. It's a marketing beer. We just go and get it contracted and well, you can slap the label on it. And write the recipes. Later. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, branding is so important. You know, before you taste the beer, you, you, you look at it. It's that you know, the old saying, you know, you, you, you look at a dish first with your eyes. You taste it with your eyes first before you get into it. Um, 
And a beer is the same, you know, nine times out of ten when you're, especially in the bottle shop situation, you will probably pick up the beer that you like the label of best before anything. And so unless you recognize the brewery or are interested in a particular style or something like that, you're going to grab the label you like. And I think most people shop for wine that way. Um, and I certainly know that I, if I see a really cool label on a beer, I'll pick it up and look at it. I might put it back down if I, you know, don't like the brewery or or the style or whatever but it's super super important and um and beer is fun so i think having fun with your brand is is kind of cool too and you know brendan and i we like our heavier kind of music and you know we like satan we like satan (laughs) we we've got a little altar over there if if you haven't noticed (laughs) (laughs) no we got brendan bought cool shirts the other day like hail drink craft hail satan which is um it's a bit of fun, yeah, but uh, also to play on the smoke meth hail Satan t-shirt, yeah. which is equally humorous, equally in humorous. a lighthearted yeah. fashion. <laughs> meth is quite humorous. <laughs> no, I think it's very, very important to get your branding. I think it's worth mentioning that Chris was a graphic designer for for most of his life. It was what he studied and his career um, for the for the you know the first half of his life. So it's 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 really important and, and valuable for us to have those skills. I've I've similarly worked in in marketing and branding and retail and beer and sales and PR for for a long time in, in various roles. So I, I really, I value an image and a brand and it's important. Like if you care about your product, you need to convey how much you care about it and to, to sell it and to, to give someone got, an attractive... If you've got the best beer in the world with a really shit branding, chances are people are going to pass it by unless they're introduced to it. Um, on the other point, you can have the greatest branding in the world on a shit beer, but people are probably going to try it because mm. um, that's just the, the nature of, of purchasing. And it, it is a very, very important part of what we do. I mean, at the end of the day, what's in the bottle is what counts because that's what people come back for. But you need to have that hook where they will be you know, influenced enough to try it if they're coming in cold. Um, it's also I fun. I like simplicity. Um, I don't think there's any need to, to, to complicate a label to, to give it the, the banners and the, the, the borders and the... But every beer label is an oval with a little banner <laughs> across the bottom. And down. <laughs> Not all of them. Um, there, there's some great labels out there, but we wanted shelf presence. We wanted, you know, we, we, look, we would look at our fridges every day at Josie Bones and you just get lost. Like, your eyes would be drawn to simplicity or to something that stood out or something that was bold. An interesting colour. Um, what, um, what was the label... It was the it was cut in half and it was bright green and bright pink. Um, really bad. It's one of my favourite beers. It was, a, it was the red IPA? Um, oh, not the Kismaya. 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 Yeah. Oh yeah, I know the one you mean. Yeah. So tacky, but so good at the same time, and really striking and really interesting. Oh, he's awesome. We tried to have a dinner with him, but no one bought tickets because they didn't know who he was. Oh, really? Yeah. That's so sad. I I was I must admit I'm not really a brewer fanboy but i was i was you know like had as many conversations as i could with that guy because he's he's quite an interesting guy he comes from big beer background as well um but i just loved what he was doing and i just loved the ridiculous simplicity of his his labels and as a graphic designer i just appreciated that so much and it just draws your your eye to it and when you look at a fridge and i i'm in a bad habit of this that i'm always if anywhere i'm sitting having a drink i'm looking at labels and Half of them you can't read. You don't know what the brewery is. You don't know what the style is. So much basic information is lost or it's all super shiny. So when the light's on it, you can't read a damn thing. And you, you tend to overlook those beers and go to the one that you can read and can see. So it is it is super important. I reckon uh, when Doc hits 
with his packaged goods. It's going to be really good. Great. Yeah. They look nice fantastic. I reckon they're going to have incredible... Sh- like they're really striking off the shelf, so I reckon so they're going to do really well. Yeah. Dave's just uh, bought a photo of the Doctor's Orders Brewing beers, the new ones, uh, that are getting packaged soon. We actually interviewed him recently, or Dave did, um, and we... Uh, ag- again, there's some recorder problems. It was a bungle, yeah, yeah. on my account this time. Uh, yeah. But we'll be interviewing him soon. So. We used to we used to trade homebrews. Uh, we used to send each other packages of sours. Uh, he introduced me to Lichtenheiner, a fantastic smoked variation of Berliner Weiss, mm. years ago. A, a plum sour that he'd done. Um, yeah, he's 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 a very cool guy. He's, he's been great. Yeah, he's great. But when I saw so the package, well. he went, "You bastard! Wish I had done that one." <laughs> yeah, he's he so showed me simple, during the chat, and I was like, "Wow!" So clean yeah. and just like. That shit's going to work. It's going to work so well mm-hmm. because it is graphic and colourful but tasteful. And I think that's... Recognisably dark as well. Yeah. Like you know it, it's yeah, it's, it's yeah. got everything right about it and I think it's fantastic. And unfortunately... Still a of his Goza here. Just uh, over behind the pew. Beautiful. Yeah, the Satan. Why isn't that altar. in the... Uh, why isn't that on tap? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, behind the altar. <laughs> Which is, it needs a little bit more devil. I'm sure um, Puck wants we'll his keg back, so we'll, we'll drink it soon. All right. Um, but yeah, I think the whole Australian beer world suffers a little bit from a little bit of bad design, which is unfortunate. Yeah, I think uh, I was sitting um, in Slow Beer recently with some graphic designers, and one of them who didn't know anything about beer, he was just there with some friends, um, and he said, he looked around and said, I hate all of these labels, basically. Um, he said he picked out two or three that he really liked and said everything else is... Well, that would have been the Boneyard and the... <laughs> sort of I used to feel really creeped out by the, the idea of marketing and the idea of branding and uh, it, I kind of felt like it was, uh, you know, underhanded and deceited and trying to trick people and um, my dad gave me a book called uh, Marketing Matters and uh, I guess the big, the big take-home from that book was that if you if you want to sell something, if you want to be in business, you've you've got to market. You've got to be prepared to market. And marketing is just that conveyance of your idea or your product. So it's not it's not something you should shy away from. It's not something that's dirty. It's it's just selling your product and communicating your brand and your ideas um, effectively and and to the market that you want. And you want you want your thing to look good, right? Like well, you do. If you put a lot of work into it, and if you just slap a a bad label on it, then it's like you don't care enough. Yeah. You should care about every single aspect, whether it's the, the recipe, the process, the, the, the packaging, the marketing, the care of from, from start to finish. And I think that shows in, well, the successful breweries, it shows. Like Sierra Nevada, you know, they've got some lovely packaging, fantastic beers, and they look how huge they've become. Mm. Just good attitude across the board just a quick point if there's any uh, retailers or uh, bar managers or anyone are in, in venues and they and you want a sign or you want <laughs> you think boneyard branding works well for you get in touch with us we want to make you a sign chris gratuitous uh, self-promotion chris will put off everything that he's doing to make you a sign i will <laughs> <laughs> i love it it's awesome we're doing a really cool one for uh can we say for the pinnacle at the moment so because to fit in with their theme and because I get the boneyard thing going so I love doing that stuff so the more of that the better it's a bit of fun I've never been to the Fitzroy Pinnacle um, I include them on the Pouring a Melbourne updates quite frequently and they seem to be sort of going under the radar but doing some really good beer there yeah it's a cool it's an old post office it's a beautiful beautiful building mm. um, yeah great pub really passionate very yeah. Victorian centric um, yeah great beer garden always have bands playing out there mm. uh, very you know Aussie pub so we went with the Aussie theme. Made them a very with a boneyard twist. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to go there and check it out to uh, to find out what it what it looks like. 
So you mentioned glass sizes before and yeah, glassware and discussing, things. Um, we started a highly interesting chat without recording it, so uh, we thought we'd better stop it's there. probably been the theme of the day. <laughs> it's still recording, yeah. is it? All that yeah, gold we're has been now. lost into the air. Repeated everything with, with less enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah. Let's buckle. <laughs> and I guess we talked about um, you know the standard glass size that Josie Bones was bigger than a pot. Um, and it's that attitude of, of sort of pricing and pot sizes where everyone's used to their beers coming in a, a pot glass and they cost four, I, I have no idea. Whatever what the price is. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking that at a top 50 pubs or top 25 pubs list and uh, the metre of the pub was the, the price of a pot. Uh, regardless of what the beer was, it was what your cheapest pot is mm. or your cheapest palmer. Um, and we didn't do pots, but people would go, oh, that's expensive for a pot. It's like, that's no, not a pot. It clearly says 330 on the wall. And with the price next to it, but people—it's—it's it's this whole perception. Beer has been at this certain level forever in this country, mm. and then now that it's being elevated out of the pub, um, and you're putting things in different shaped glasses, different size glasses, people are freaking out a little bit. It's like it's uh, so expensive. It's like it is more expensive than some of the mass-produced stuff because purely by volume, you can you know do it cheaper if you're doing a lot, but. When you put it in a champagne glass or you put it in a 330ml glass, people have this perception that, well, that's not a pint. It must be a pot. That's really expensive for that size. But it's 330. It's the same as a small bottle of beer. Mm. And you wouldn't balk at paying that for that bottle. But I'm pouring it up from the tap into that. You're freaking out. So there's a lot of perception changes going on. There's nothing wrong with pints. And, you know, people, it's it's a good measure for people. And people love drinking pints. I I know lots of people that go, it's just got to be a pot and a pint. And that's fine. That's their opinion. But it doesn't mean that every venue has to do that. Um, You know, I think people that have expectations of of everyone doing the same thing and being consistent. And it's it's a shame. We we, we should be able to to sell and package and and meter the way we want to and convey that to our customers. So I think the thing 330 glass is perfect because I don't think a, a pot's a waste of time for me. You take one mouthful and it's gone, and a pint. <laughs> You've got big mouthfuls, though. Right. <laughs> and a, a pint might be a bit too much. So I do like the three thirty size, and but yeah, that's a personal thing. Um, We're going to have really small glasses here at Boneyard, so our prices look really good. Look really cheap. Yeah. <laughs> One hundred and ten mil. That's the large. That's the. L- yeah. <laughs> oh, you want the large? Yeah, we yeah, do need to large. make that decision, don't we, about how we go about this because. I don't know. Most breweries do serve it in a those standard sizes in this country. We probably shouldn't be talking about it, but I think there's the perception of value, um, regardless of size and regardless of portions. People want uh, they want to get value, and you can. They do, but there's also this perception of value with beer, where most people, if you paid thirty dollars for a bottle of wine, you think, well, that's some cheap shit. Um, but you pay thirty dollars for a. A seven fifty mile bottle of amazing beer and people—it's beer. It's outrageous. Outrageous, yeah. yeah. Um, There's a big perception gap going on, and beer has been commoditized in this country for so long that people don't attach a value to it. I guess on the other the other side of that, I I spent a lot of money on beer, like a lot. Um, Spent eight grand one tax year, tax deductible beer drinking. I'll let you know when I do my taxes this year. <laughs> That's um, the only reason you do this podcast, isn't it? It's like a few, few, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Got to pay tax to claim it, though. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. Let's, let's not go into taxes. <laughs> <laughs> they might be listening. That's a whole other conversation, tax and beer. Yeah. Um, but, you know, even even I still... Um, there's, there's beers that are going on tap right now that are $28 a, a serve um, in some places. We beat that. 
You beat that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we beat that. $29 glass. What was it? It was, I reckon it was the most expensive keg of beer ever purchased in Australia from my predecessor, just before I took over managing Josie Bones. It was a 30-litre keg of Bahnhof Gozator from Leipzig, uh, an imperial tequila barrel-aged Goza, air-freighted in a very small quantity to Australia. The only, the one keg, were, yeah. So, I, I mean, I generally, I probably know what the beers are that are, you know, being poured, uh, you know, like a McCalla beer, ge- beer Geek Weasel or whatever. I'm probably not going to pay 28 bucks on tap because I know what it tastes like. Um, but yeah, I kind of I always do that double take, and, and even though I spend that much, I go, oh, twenty eight dollars is probably a bit a bit too far for me. I'll dial it back, and I I probably won't get those beers. Although saying that, that Imperial Goza does sound. But this pretty is good. It was great. It was flat. It was. <laughs> yeah, I can't talk like about cactus. it without swearing. It was <laughs> anyway. But this is where the venue should offer a small. 110 mil sample, something like that. So I don't want to spend the $28 on a glass, but I can get a small one for 10 bucks. Mm. We're all good. And if I love it, I'll buy one. If not, we can move on. Mm. So options are great. Yeah, yeah. You just have a variable, do it by weight. You can just, you know, like meat, you can order as much beer as you want. What do you want? I'll have 200 grams of Imperial <laughs> Stout, please. <laughs> That'd be pretty awesome. Just, yeah, have a little level on the side of your glass and say, pour, in, pour, pour, in it, pour it, say stop, okay, and that's going to be 10 bucks. Quick calculation. That's actually pretty good. Cause density this, of this times. Let's not record, let's not publish this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, there, there are times when... and measures I, I want the ATO would approve. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you want more than a, the, the brewery or the bar sample that they're going to give you. I don't want a full glass of a lot of things. So. And, you know, sharing glasses as everyone that was at Gab's that came down with a horrible flu afterwards. How did I escape that? I don't know what you're doing. It was lucky. Everyone's You're hardcore. <laughs> Your immune system is just... Yeah. Um, so yeah, know, maybe there is a... Well, some venues are doing it with wine. Um, they will yeah. they'll have the beakers and all that kind of stuff set up, and it looks a bit wanky, but I tell you what, it bloody works. We can buy 200 mils of wine or 500 mils or whatever. They'll just... Carafe. A carafe. It works. Carafes. It works really, yeah, I, really well. Half bottles of wine is something I, or carafes of wine is something I do quite frequently. And yep. It's a good way of doing it because I don't know shit about wine. And a restaurant I went to, they had bottles of wine um, and the, the the large format was 500 mil. And hmm. it's, it's, it's not that they didn't have bottles. They could have sold bottles, but they chose not to because on the menu it made it look cheap. It's like, oh, it's only $25 for a large. Hmm. It's a cheap bottle of wine. Yeah. And well, if you can get a whole menu done that way, you're going to explore a bit more. Mm. So it's an interesting idea. Mm. All right. Um, I think we're probably coming to the end of the uh, show. Do you guys have an opening date for, for Boneyard yet? This year. This year. <laughs> <laughs> Stay question tuned. Mark, question mark, question mark. Yeah, cool. it's taken a lot longer. Just the planning and just there's so much involved in it. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're going as fast as we can. Yep. And we'd like to be open. We so want to do it, right? Yeah, we want to do it, yeah. right? You know, so hmm. we're a bit behind, having not not planned to move. You know, selling Jesse Bones was spur of the moment opportunity, um, so we went with it. So it's yeah. Had we had we had the the, the luxury or the, the leisure of time, we'd be further ahead. But yeah, we're 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 on it. We're working on it. And if people want to try your beers, if they may not have already, are they out on shelves at the moment? Yeah, we've got national distribution uh, through Northdown Craft Beer Movement. They sell our beer for us. They haven't really got much beer to sell at the moment, but we've uh, we've got some some brews planned over the next few months. So we'll we'll get some of our core beers back out, as well as some some new things that we've been working on. 
Um, but yeah, most most independents, most good good retailers around Australia uh, can access our beers, and and we'll have them from time to time. The golden should be out and about. We'll have some more golden available soon, and our red ale and a, a brand new beer, which uh, will remain unnamed. Nice sneak peeks for the. Uh, the well, you can have a taste. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll take that over. Yeah. Once you turn that on or yeah, off right. or whatever you're doing, we can. While we're winding down uh, the, the show, let me just change the momentum altogether. When you released the Golden Ale initially, how was it received? I did uh, confuse people. Um, it's quite aggressive, isn't it? Yeah, uh, essentially it's a session IPA, but no one had released or marketed anything as a session IPA in Australia. I'd, I'd seen it in America and, and you know recognised it as a, as a great style. Chris wanted something sessionable. I wanted something aggressive. Golden Ale for me was... A marketable brand. It was something we could brew a lot of. Um, sessionability is something that's that's really important to us for our core range and and you know the, the things that we want to sell volumes of. But we love hops, so we want it to be aggressive. And you know, I think that style's really taken off. It has confused people. They've, they've, oh, that's not a golden ale. Well, why not? It's it's golden and it's an ale. And they say, well, it's a pale ale, but it's it's got wheat in it, so it's not really, calling it a pale ale would be deceptive and. I don't know, I, I like the understated approach. Um, being the arrogant wanker that I am, I, I get shot down a lot. Um, so calling it a session IPA just felt like it was asking for criticism, asking for people to... Sit here on a podcast and talk about what a session IPA is. <laughs> <laughs> so I hate the word session, because it means so many things to so many different people, and it's a hoppy golden ale. It's I, golden and it's an ale. Yep, it's, yeah. that, that's it. Yeah. I think there's like, when people see a new brand hit the shelves and it's a golden ale, I think there's preconceptions about, here's a safe approach from a new brand. Low bit from, from the new very brand. Old driven too. And, yeah. um, probably yeah. for me, I didn't pick it up straight away until it was recommended and then I had it. I was like, whoa, this is a serious well, beer. I, I probably got it thinking it was going to be an easy drinker for a um, you know, fish and chips or whatever and was like, whoa, that's... A lot bigger than I thought, and then revisited it, you know, a few months later, and and it ended up becoming my go-to beer on tap at, at the local pub. That had it. Um, we love you, <laughs> <laughs> but, and and also um, my girlfriend who doesn't love big bitter beers, and that's probably I think her initial reaction to that was was you know ah oh, I'm never going to drink that again, and she was drinking it by the pint um, after a few months as well. So. Yeah. In the words of our uh, our fearsome leader, we wanted to uh, underpromise and overdeliver. Mm. Mm. To <laughs> to surprise people, you know, like I think it's it's kind of fun. Like, and, and once people knew what it was and got their head around it, they could recommend it or could drink it when they wanted something like that. But mm. yeah, I don't think you need to. Yeah, you don't need to give it all away at the at the start. Um, and it was, uh, to be honest, it was a little out of balance, and it's still it's still a work in progress. I think that the day that you're happy with your your beer, you should hang up your boots. So I'm, I'm always trying to improve the beer and, and improve the balance and and refine it and, and move it towards my dream gold nail so it's it's not there it probably will never be there but it's a work in progress and I think it gets better every batch so no, that's a whole other conversation though what <laughs> beer is called you know there are so many things with the IPA label on there that just aren't and ambers and well I mean it's just it's a minefield that whole thing it's what it seems to be what's fashionable at the time everything's a fucking IPA at the moment because that's what we're all drinking they're cool um where they could be called many other things too. An so. It's an American style, right? Yeah, they invented that <laughs> shit. It's got to be seven and a half percent. <laughs> We're not going into the IPA <laughs> discussion. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's wrap this up. Um, thanks so much, guys. It was a, a good chat. Um, We've tried really hard to derail this show, but it's been really good so far. So uh, <laughs> thanks. Yeah. By you know not recording. Yeah. So, uh, the stuff that you guys didn't hear was just gold. oh golden. 
Uh, but wish, no. Wish you were here. <laughs> yeah. You should have seen that bottle of gush. It was sensational. Yeah. <laughs> get the camera, guys. Get that camera. All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Thank Cheers. you. Thank you. Cheers.